Thank you for tuning in today to the Sword and Trial. Uh, we especially want to thank our Founders Alliance members. It's your support that enables us to provide the kind of content that we do and making it available free of charge to as many people as we possibly can. Today, we have Baruch Mayaz coming to us uh, fresh from having been in Israel. Baruch is an Israeli by birth and nationality. He is a Reformed Baptist pastor. Uh, He's a scholar, an author, has written books for founders, and he's going to talk to us about what he observed while he was in Israel uh, immediately, two days after the terrorist attack by Hamas. So if you have others that are interested in this, please pass this around to them, encourage them to tune in. Uh, If you would subscribe and hit like, that helps us in all the algorithms and keeps us from being so easily canceled. So thank you for joining us this week. Welcome to The Sword and Trowel. The Sword and Trowel is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. We're delighted to have you join us today for a very important conversation with an old friend. Baruch Mayaz is joining us from his home out on the west coast of America, but having just uh, freshly returned from his homeland of Israel. So, Baruch, welcome to The Sword and Trowel. Thank you, Tom. I do not appreciate you introducing me as old. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you realize that as I implicated you, I implicated myself. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) So, but it is true. I was trying to recall earlier today when I first met you, and I don't don't remember. uh, I think it was back during the early days of RBMS, uh, the Reformed Baptist Mission Services, but I, I can't recall our first time to really talk. But you've been in our I church. It was 1976. Oh wow! Well, you're better than I am. So <laughs> uh, that would have been uh, uh, many years ago, even before I I came to serve here. Um, and you've been in our congregation, our church, many times. Preached for us. Uh, you have served so faithfully. You were a pastor in Israel for many years. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. But you've also published many books. I, I was trying to. I, I know you've published books in Hebrew, and you were doing some of the groundbreaking work in exegetical biblical studies in Hebrew uh, many, many years ago, and I don't even know where all those projects, I'm sure they were completed, but you were working on a concordance at one point, uh, and was it a a theological word book, or just tell us what you've published in Hebrew that, um, you you know, you've, you've worked on over the course of your lifetime. Well, uh, I started uh, in terms of literature labor in the translation of materials. We translated, for example, Packer's Knowing God's Full of Ells, The Providence of God, and and books like that. Mm -hmm. But over the course of time, I became aware of the fact that as solid uh, as good literature is written in in another culture, we needed material that uh, issued out of our own culture and addressed the questions or either the specific questions we had or questions from our specific perspective. Mm. And so uh, since there was no one else, uh, I undertook to begin to write. Mm. Uh, I've written a series of commentaries on the minor prophets, all but Zechariah, which I hope to approach soon, um, and a a few other books. Mm. Some of my books have been translated into English by myself and produced by Founders Press. Yes. Yes, and we actually have three of those books here. Uh, the, you did a commentary on Galatians, 
and one on Colossians and one on Malachi. And we've got another book for you that uh, from you that we're hoping to get off the press this next year, God and His Beautiful Greatness, which is a, a study of the doctrine of God. And uh, we're looking forward to making that readily available. You know, the first bit of work that I ever did for Founders was in helping with the editing process for your Colossians commentary. Oh, oh wow. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So very good. So, Brooke, we're delighted to have you uh, here with us today. And primarily, we want to talk to you about what is taking place uh, in Israel and the Gaza Strip and the, the horrific terrorist attack back on October the 7th. You were actually, if I recall right, you were scheduled to go back to Israel before that attack. I mean, you were already planning to go like in the days afterward. And somehow you, you made it over there. Am, am I remembering that correctly? Yes. Uh, every 12 to 18 months, I make a ministry trip back to Israel, and I was scheduled to make one when the war broke out, and my airline canceled my flight. Uh, now it was no longer the planned, programmed mm-hmm. trip that I wanted to make. I needed to be there because my people were suffering. Yes. And so uh, I left my wife, who was going to come with me, and traveled to Israel. The only airline that flew into Israel was the Israeli El Al airline. Mm. I was able to obtain a ticket and arrived about two days after the war broke out. Wow. Wow. And, uh, Brooke, you you pastored uh, how long in Israel? Just under 33 years. 33 years. And you're, tell us about your church, where it was located, and, and tell us about the uh, the membership of the church and the, and the various ministries, even in different languages that you had. Well, we were a Reformed and Baptist church. Uh, being Reformed, as we understood it, means standing on the truth. But one of one aspects of that truth is that we need to be as faithful to the theology as we are to God's people. And so uh, many members of our congregation did not, at least when they joined the congregation, did not affirm uh, a Reformed faith. They came from various cultures and various <laughs> backgrounds. Some of them were Jewish. Some of them were Arab. Um, in the 1980s, we had a large influx of Russian-speaking uh, immigrants who came from the former Soviet Union, mm. which was in itself quite a challenge because mm. by then the majority of our congregation were Reformed and here we were swamped with a large number of people who were decidedly not reformed (laughs) Um, and who also were very, very much committed to a Russian Baptist culture, Mm. which was uh, uh, reactive to the society in which they lived. And so uh, we found ourselves in a situation where after a few years, um, we were preaching in Hebrew and there'll be simultaneous translation into Russian into Dutch, into French, uh, into German, and into sign language, because we had a quite a contingent of uh, deaf believers. Mm. Um, I, I, it was a tremendous challenge. It was the Tower of Babel sanctified <laughs> and dedicated to the Lord. Yeah. It, it was really good. But good means plenty of challenges. Sure, yeah. doesn't mean without trouble, <laughs> as we mm-hmm. read in the New Testament. And I remember, I uh, can't recall the year, but you came to our church at one point. We invited you to do like a weekend seminar, and we opened it to the public. You spoke on the Jewish-Palestinian uh, conflicts through the years, and it was the, the people from the community came. It was wonderfully insightful. I remember one man 
uh, that it got into an, wanted to get into an extended uh, question dialogue with you, and I, we did that publicly, and then he talked privately to you. But that was so eye-opening uh, to me and to our folks to recognize the the fact that, uh, yes, there's been these tense relationships, but many of them have been uh, uh, continued on because of an unwillingness to have the kind of peaceful relationship that the Israeli government more than once has offered. And uh, that was, but can, can you just briefly kind of summarize that? Because my understanding is there have been repeated efforts to try to provide for uh, those who identify as Palestinian in that uh, region of Gaza to be able to live uh, on their own terms as their own state. Is that is that accurate? Um, well, let me first of all begin by, by a simple fact. There are sinners on both sides of this political divide, Amen. and both of them are very good at sinning, including <laughs> my own people. Yeah. When the state was founded, it was founded according to a United Nations decision, which uh, proposed the partition of the land between a Jewish uh, and uh, an Arab-Palestinian uh, states. The Jewish side agreed to that. The Palestinians, really, who were living in the land, had no voice. Mm. But the Arab nations around said no, uh, and they took up over the leadership for the Palestinians and invaded Israel. That was the 1948, what we would call the Independence War, and uh, the Palestinians now call the Nabcha, the catastrophe. Mm. And it was a catastrophe for them because the result of that war was that Israel not only secured the territories that were originally accorded uh, to it by the United Nations decision, but uh, created a contingent body of land, which was not proposed originally. Mm. The Arab countries, particularly Jordan in the West Bank and Egypt in the Gaza Strip, forbade the creation of an Arab-Palestinian state, established refugee camps, and would not allow the the Arab-Palestinians living in those camps to create a national life, an independence, an industry, an educational system, an infrastructure. They were kept as uh, refugees, a thorn in the flesh of Israel and of the United Nations. The United Nations responded by the creation of the of UNRWA, the United Nations World Relief a- Agency, mm-hmm. which perpetuated a situation with regard to the Arab-Palestinian refugees that has never been perpetuated for any of the many millions of refugees that the world has seen over the last 50, 60, 70, 100 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Refugee status is now inherited to the second and third and fourth generation. And the refugees are constantly supported by United Nations because, again, the Arab nations have not allowed them to develop an industry. Therefore, it became a running sore. Israel has, uh, under a number of prime ministers, Prime Minister Rabin, Prime Minister Olmert, uh, 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 Prime Minister Barak, made offers that would enable the Palestinians to have a state of their own, uh, but it would be um, a a state that would not be in a position to threaten the existence of Israel. Our present prime minister, who has been the prime minister for uh, close to 17 years now, longer than any sitting prime minister, uh, has uh, offered 
the Palestinians, the kind of peace that if I was a Palestinian, I would reject. Uh, he is offering them a kind of a autonomy and independence, but not a state of their own. It would be a rump state. Mm. The present conflict has really little to do with the Palestinian-Israeli uh, uh, conflict. It is a radical organization, Hamas, an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, who have in their charter, amongst other statements, um, a, a commitment to the total eradication of the state of Israel and the retaking of the land for Allah. And therefore, they're not open to any kind of peace negotiations. Mm. Well, thank you for that history. And um, it, it puts in context what happened October the 7th, uh, which as I've read, and, and Baruch, one of the things, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but but Baruch was sending out these uh, daily reports. And I think we have 75, 6, 7 of them that have come. I passed some of them around mm -hmm. uh, to our elders as well, just to keep us uh, apprised of what's going on. And your take on this, I appreciate the fact that you speak as uh, one who whose homeland has been attacked, but you speak as a Christian. You speak as someone who... Uh, knows the gospel of the Lord Jesus and therefore wants to honor the truth uh, regardless of where that truth leads. And so just as you already said, there's plenty of sin to go around. And in your uh, reports, as you've engaged with some others who've had different perspectives on things, I appreciate the fact that you've always been very generous. You've been fair to grant certain points, but refusing to just cite narratives or to try to go along in order to uh, maybe make some people who have uh, uh, who see a moral equivalency between what Israel is doing and what Hamas did because my vantage point there's no moral equivalency at mm -hmm. all this was a terrorist attack and Israel is responding to it I want to invite you to join us January 18th through 20th, 2024, here in Southwest Florida for the National Founders Conference. We're addressing the theme of remembering Jesus Christ. And so Phil Johnson, Conrad Mbewe, Travis Allen, Joel Beakey, and Costi Hinn will come and preach for us. I'll join with them as well as we look at this most vitally important subject. You can find more information and register for this at founders.org. Can you give us, uh, in, in your many uh, weeks now of reflection, having been there, having seen things and firsthand knowledge in many cases of what is some of the atrocities that have gone on, tell us, how should we think about this Christianly? In a nutshell, Christianly. <laughs> Hamas, Hamas is not seeking justice. Hamas is not seeking peace. Hamas is not open to any kind of resolution, and therefore one cannot negotiate with someone who is demanding your demise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would think that in, in terms of biblical justice, Hamas has no leg to stand upon. Hamas premeditatedly attacked civilians, mm -hmm. murdered babies in their cribs, took a, a family of, of a father, a mother, and two children who were hugging each other, wrapped them in barbed wire, 
shot them in the head, and then burnt them. Their charred bodies were found in the bedroom. These are not the kind of people that uh, we can uh, conciliate. Israel's battle is not with the Palestinian people in Gaza. Israel has never and never will, I believe, premeditatedly target civilians. We are desperately concerned for the civilians in Gaza. But Hamas is not. Hundreds of millions, uh, hundreds of billions of dollars have poured into the Gaza Strip. And instead of developing a kind of life that would allow the Gazans to live a normal life, they've invested all these funds into a military infrastructure, which is now being destroyed by Israel. They've militarized the most sacred civilian institutions, such as hospitals, kindergartens, and schools, leaving Israel no option but to attack them. How can we think about this? I think we should pray for the destruction of Hamas and for a a, a peaceful, just resolution that will meet compromises on both sides, both the Palestinian and the Israeli side, so that there would be two states who would live alongside each other and work for the uh, welfare of each other. One of the <clears throat> one of the narratives that's been pushed by uh, the mainstream media here in America is, well, yes, you know, Hamas, um, they killed civilians, but look, civilians are dying at the hands of the Israeli army as well. And as you pointed out, and I want to highlight, uh, Hamas did it intentionally. Mm-hmm. And Israel has done it because Hamas hides behind civilians yeah. uh, in the structures that you just described. And uh, is it is it correct to understand that there have been munitions found in hospitals and tunnels that are uh, filled with weapons of warfare underneath schools and such as that, that if you're going to take out those weapons and those strongholds of uh, terrorism, then civilians or the civilian properties at least and probably civilians uh, could well suffer the way that they have at times well speaking of the properties yes they've even desecrated mosques by digging tunnels uh, and attack shafts in in their own in their own mosques mm. uh, in in the report that I just produced a short while before we met to talk this morning, you have the testimony of the head of one of the central hospitals in Gaza saying that he himself, he's a manager, uh, the director of the hospital. He himself is a lieutenant colonel in the Hamas military organization. And many of his staff, as he himself admits, were Hamas operatives. When it comes to uh, Gaza civilians, Israel has done all it can to encourage and to enable civilians to evacuate to safe areas. Hamas has done all it can to keep them from evacuating. Yeah, I think I've seen in some of your reports uh, where even under the uh, under gunfire, these civilians yes. were not allowed to go to the safe zones that had been established for them. Is that, is that correct? They were shot at by Hamas operatives for yeah. relocating. Right. Yeah, that's what I understood you'd be saying. You know, it's, um, I'm 
<laughs> the church that uh, you have pastored for so many years there in Israel, um, having mixed ethnicities, uh, Israeli, Arab, um, what is the spirit there? I mean, is, is it, does it cause tension between uh, those who, you know, ethnically are, you know, they live in Israel and they are Christians in this church, but ethnically they're more closely related to the Palestinians. And, and is there any um, bitterness or, or difficulty in overcoming that within the Christian churches there in Israel? Are there tensions, Graham? You bet they are. I mean, they're very real tensions because of what's going on. But Christ is more important than our national interests and our national concerns uh, or for our, our national priorities. Mm. And therefore, we, we handle, or at least we endeavor to handle those tensions in a way that will honor God and live out the gospel. Mm. Is there bitterness? Yes, there's bitterness. There's hurt. I mean, uh, imagine a, a bus exploding in the center of Jerusalem with with many killed and many injured. And then the next day you're sitting beside uh, an Arab Palestinian Christian. Or imagine uh, an Israeli incursion into uh, a Palestinian city like Janine. And then the next day you're sitting beside an Israeli who, who served in the IDF, in the Israel Defense Forces. Of course, there's, there's bitterness, there's tension, there are difficulties, but Christ is far more important. And he is the... He is the glue that keeps us together. We are, what does the translation put it? We are knit together in mm. Christ. Mm. Yeah, amen. And that, that point is something that uh, it's, it's true. We ought to be heralding that as loudly as we can. And it's wonderful to hear it uh, from someone who, who is grieving over what's going on in his homeland. And it's one of the, the valuable messages that we need to, to proclaim is that what we have in the gospel transcends every ethnic division that uh, is there because of history, because of uh, tensions that arise and, and aren't going to be erased, uh, maybe not in our lifetimes. But the power of the gospel transcends that. And God is made out of the two, one new man. And that's always true. And if we're not manifesting that, we're not trying to honor that reality, then we're just going along with what the world is saying is most important. And that happens everywhere, certainly happening here in America more and more. And uh, this is a message that's not new, but it is absolutely essential that what God does in reconciling sinners to himself includes reconciling sinners to one another in Christ. Mm -hmm. Well, Baruch, uh, how's your church? How's the church doing? That particular church? Were you able to be with them at all while you were over there? Let me, before I respond to that, just yeah. draw uh, draw your attention to a simple fact. I came there to Israel to support Israel. Mm -hmm. My hosts were an Arab Israeli family mm -hmm. who made available to me an apartment, and when I wanted to pay for at least the electricity, water, and city tax, were offended. They would not accept it. Wow. Uh, it's part of the beauty of the gospel. Amen. Uh, I was able to meet with the pastor of the church there, but I had already been committed to a number of other churches. Every weekend I found myself preaching in another church. Mm. And so I was able to attend a service uh, on one occasion, mm -hmm. but uh, that was about it. I was extremely busy. Yeah. 
Well, I'm not surprised by that because <laughs> you've been extremely busy since I've known you in <laughs> in in good causes, in very good causes. Yeah, well, brother, uh, we have prayed for you as a church, and um, just we value and praise God for the long term friendship that we've had with you and our hearts have been heavy over these last few months as we've seen what has unfolded there uh, in Israel. But we praise God for the gospel and for your part in spreading that gospel, not just in Israel, but literally around the world by the way that God has used you. We're grateful that you are with us today on the Sword and Trial. Thank you. Well, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for your friendship, for your prayers, and for your financial support. Amen. Well, we're delighted with it, and we think that's wonderful investment on our part. We're going to link to um, Baruch's website. It's um, Maoz Family. What, what's the, what is your website, Baruch? It's it's themaozweb.com. Themaozweb.com. We'll link to that and also to these books that are available through Founders Press. And be on the lookout for the book on the doctrine of God, God and His Beautiful Greatness, that will be put on prepub here, God willing, in a few months. And you'll be able to read about that as well. So, brother, thank you for joining us. And as you think of Baruch, you think about what is going on in Israel. Pray. Pray for the gospel there. There are Christians there. There are wonderful Christian churches there. Ask the Lord to protect them and to use them in these uh, sad, difficult days to herald forth the truth that is in Christ Jesus. Well, thanks for joining us today on The Sword and Trial. If this podcast has been of use to you, we ask you to pass it around, let other people know about it. Uh, Whatever you can do to encourage others to uh, come and listen to this conversation, we would greatly appreciate. Why are we here? What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is is forgetting. We, We forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because That's why we are the church. Christ is supreme over all. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. We're there to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ.
Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.